Welcome, everybody. I'm really excited that you're able to join us today, and I value your time very much. I'd like to invite you to become a follower and supporter of the Growing Band Orchid podcast. Now, I'm sure you already listen to the show, and you've got some friends that are listening as well, and we really, really, really appreciate that. So if you keep that up, that'd be awesome. But we've now started growingband.com, which is a new website for us, and there's lots of ways you can interact with us. You can follow us on social media channels, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube by going on growingband.com and clicking on any of those to follow us. You can also find on there now a new merchandise store, which is the Growing Band Director podcast logo and some sayings on lots of different items on there for men and women. And um, there's things from t-shirts and sweatshirts to other clothing and accessories, lots of different options on there with lots of different sizes and colors. Again, a little bit of that money comes back to us at the podcast to help us keep some content going for you. Finally, I'd like to invite you to become a Patreon member. This is a listener-supported show, which means we don't take any ads besides this one. Instead, we rely on listeners like you to keep us going, right? The way to support us um, is by going to growingband.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. And you can choose either $5 a month, $3 a month, and you'll gain access to the episode notes as well as an audio file of every episode we've done. Among other things, this is where you'll find our repertoire list and all the different repertoire podcasts we've done in the past and will do in the future. So whether it's by clicking on Patreon, um, following us on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, um, going to the merchandise store on growingband.com and ordering something for yourself or some family or friends, um, and also sharing the show with some other people, we really, really appreciate you being part of the show. And please reach out at any point. And uh, there's a way to do that on growingband.com as well on the contact us button. Uh, Anyways, let's get to the show. I hope you enjoy it. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to the Growing Band Director podcast. My name is Kyle Smith, and joining me is my friend and colleague, Jeff Smith. Our mission is to share practical advice and explore topics that will help every band director, no matter your experience level, as well as music education students who are working to join us in the coming years. Together, we will discuss many aspects of a well-rounded band program, but most importantly, we will discuss concepts that help us all improve our own programs each and every day. Always remember the famous quote by Ray Kroc, when you're green, you're growing, and when you're ripe, you rot. Let's get started. So the question that I want to go to next is, um, you're right. They want to feel like they're part of a family and they want to be good at what they're doing, right? That I think that's also mm-hmm. a big thing. I think kids, whatever they're doing, they do want to be good at it. And if it's good, that will attract more kids as well. So I just have to go yes, back. I mean, absolutely. I've I've never thought about bringing arcade games and stuff like that into the band room. So I know I'm probably the, not the only band director going, whoa, that's that's very outside the box. So I am very curious. It is. How, it was outside the box. How to be able to be more of that, you know, family and and all of that while not sacrificing, um, you know, the musical intention of what you're going for as well what what did we do uh, to incorporate the concept of emotion which is the title of the clinic the emotionally in tune band director well how many times have we opened up and again they they were all already set up with the emotional talking about kindness to each other and making friends and helping others in the band make friends see that and this is my point that primed them 
getting them to think more emotionally, more humanely mm -hmm. primed them to think more emotionally and humanely when it came to the music. Creating an, an atmosphere where they were encouraged and taught to be that way to each other. So shifting over to the music, how many times do we open the conductor's book and there's a whole story about the piece and we don't look at it. We don't read it. Much less we don't read it to the kids. They don't know what they don't know who they are playing. They don't know what they are playing. They are playing notes. We are talking to them about musicality and expression. But if a, if, if a particular piece of music has a spiritual, deeply emotional, human aspect that inspired its writing, why not share that with the kids? Mm -hmm. Even a march. When I do a clinic, I'll walk in, I'm conducting a march, and I'll stop them and I'll say, do you guys know what marches were meant for what, 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 what is the purpose oh, to march down the street? No, <laughs> you know, the, well, maybe that's one of the purposes, but, but honestly, march is also, how scary is it to go into battle and defend your country and, and be in some foreign land, sticking up for people's rights, fighting people you don't know and risking your life, especially an 18 or 19 year old person. It's terrifying, right? A march is meant to instill pride. When you have pride in something, it gives you courage. When the troops come home and we're playing a march, thanking them for risking their lives, more human reasons to share than just quarter note equals 120, let's play this with a detached style and give it some accent. Yes, that's all wonderful. But if we can take it a step deeper mm -hmm. and help the kids understand the deeply human reason for why any particular piece is written, what is it supposed to represent? They become more emotionally invested. And when I started doing that, and I started doing that like way before any of this stuff happened to my family. I, I still remember, and I don't know what it was that made me say it, but you know, the, the story with Danny Boy, the lyrics. And my symphonic band, they loved playing the march that we were doing, and they loved playing the overture, okay? I think the overture that year, it, it, was, it was actually, uh, we were doing a transcription. I think it was Schubert's Unfinished Symphony. I, I don't recall. Gorgeous piece. They loved it. But Irish tune from County Derry, that was their favorite. You know when it became their favorite? When I told them the story and what the lyrics of Danny Boy meant. Hmm. That's when it became their favorite. So suddenly these high school kids that love loud, fast music that makes you get down, their favorite piece, and they would always go, yes, was when I would say Irish tune. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I would turn off the lights. They could barely see their music in front of them just to create that mood of, you know, ex so things that we can do to help the kids connect to the spiritual act aspect. Um, even, even with one note that, that, that you sustain and, and there's a crescendo and then this peak and tell them what is somebody feeling at this point? Somebody tell me. And I would get great answers, anguish, 
that, you know, triumph, whatever it was. So then they're connecting human deep emotions to what they're playing. It really helps them tolerate the occasional boredom because it can get boring to sit there and work on one measure until you get it just right. Well, what are we trying to get just right there? Um, I think those aspects are really, really important. And even if a story now, even if a story doesn't have, if a, if a, if a score doesn't have a story on the inside cover, you can make one up. For example, um, Seesaw Trilogy. This is when I was doing the middle school. And it has the first movement, the lyrical movement, and the end movement, okay? There was no story there except that these are well-known seasons. So I was like, okay, the first one, I got a big, giant, old wooden boat in the old days. And, and the sailors are, are showing up with their bags and they haven't seen their friends in months and they're gonna be off to, to sail for months and they're super excited and you can hear everybody chattering, hey, what's up, hey, what's going on? You know, and I would go like that and the kids would laugh. And then I, I would say, then they got their bags and they're throwing them over to their friends to catch and put down and then they're walking up the, 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 the gangplank, whatever. And that joy, that, that reunion, that excitement the kids would play it totally differently as soon as I was done with that little speech. All of a sudden, the accents were there, you know, the marcals were there, whatever. It was that, that gusto kind of thing. And then the second movement, I would describe, okay, now is their first night at sea. And they haven't seen the full moon over the water in months. And there's a gorgeous full moon and the sea is totally calm. And all the sailors are on the deck. And they're just standing there staring at this gorgeous moon and their reflection. And they're feeling peace. And the kids would play it that way. Literally, I would barely have to talk about anything, you know, connecting and don't chop your phrases. They would do it because they pictured the mean water, the serenity, the peace, and they tried to emulate it. And then the last movement is very triumphant again. And I would say, okay, now this is the next morning. The sun is up, everybody's back up on deck. The wind is blowing, they're exhilarating. And then there was this big moment in the piece. And I was like, and I want you to picture the, the wind gusting right behind the boat and the sail just pops open, boom. And it, the boat just takes off. And they played it that way. Now, on, from a technical standpoint, you want to know how many hours I saved on having to talk about articulation and style and feeling just by telling them a bedtime story, you know? Mm -hmm. It was great. Then I could spend more time about, you know, on the little technical, okay, this is not in tune. Let's get this in tune. Okay, fine. They're like, okay, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do it because they weren't feeling the spiritual thing. And it was cute because during some of the big intense moments, like on that one note where the sail pops open, sometimes they would be playing. And when it came to that part, I would catch some of them smiling and looking at each other, you know. So I think if I could give two huge pieces of advice, the first one from the friends, the spiritual standpoint, try to do activities, extra activities. And yes, it does take up more time. Okay. Yeah. You might have to spend the Friday afternoon 
doing hosting a Friday afternoon uh, pizza popcorn movie hang where everybody shows up in sweats and they can bring a pillow because that I used to do that too once a month sweats and a pillow pizza and popcorn and watch a movie together all you know just laying on the floor of the band room with a big giant screen yeah it takes up a little extra time but the reward is going to be huge because you're creating a family atmosphere of support you're creating an atmosphere where kids are able to make friends they're going to want to stay they're going to grow more they're going to they're going to be willing to take all the little sacrifices that you're asking them to do they're going to be more willing to learn all 12 scales because they want to be there so badly because you're tapping into what they want spiritually and just by evolution. The people that were wired to want to be in a group, they survived. The people that were wired to be loners, it's not a bad thing to want to be a loner. That's not what I'm saying. Everybody has their, you know, but sometimes they didn't survive. So just because of genes being passed along, you know, we, we those of us who are here today, we're more wired to want to be part of something. Mm-hmm. Now, tapping into the musical aspect of it, if, like I said, if we can get them to really connect on a deeply human, human level, they are going to just by default, I think, portray some of the emotional interpretations that we're trying to teach them with words, but we can get there faster if we let them connect to the story behind it, mm-hmm. the human story. If you don't know one, make one up. You can ask the kids to do that too. What do you guys picture on this piece? You can play them the recording first if you want. If you guys had to write a story or write a movie about this piece, what would it be for you? You have them write it down. You know? Anyway, that's my thought on that. <laughs> how, how did that transform its way into your jazz rehearsals? same thing same thing i would uh with regards to the jazz rehearsals i would either make up a story behind a tune mm-hmm. or i would tell them whatever it was that that the composer would write i i always used to read to the kids whatever was on the inside uh, cover if there was something sometimes there isn't um and when again when i do a jazz clinic let's say we're doing a ballad I immediately tell them, what is a ballad? Usually, not always, but often, it's a song expressing profound feelings of love for another human. And I'll, I'll tell them, maybe you guys are not at the age, well, if it's high school, I don't say that, because by that time, everybody's had a crush. But, um, or I'll, I'll tell them, okay, how many of you have a little brother or sister? A lot of them will raise their hand. Do you remember the first time you held that little baby in your hands? What did you feel? A lot of times you see the kids, they'll, they'll, they'll go like, oh, I say, okay, that. Or sometimes uh, there's this one piece, I forget what the name of it is, but it doesn't, it's not a love song. It, it doesn't have that feeling, but it has a very gentle innocence about it. And I've told the kids before, Okay, just imagine you bought this little tiny, tiny eight-week-old golden retriever puppy. And they're like, oh, 
assume they all do that. Now just imagine a cute, sweet little girl in her little flowered dress playing in a field of flowers. And this little puppy is just bouncing all around her, fluffy. And now she's holding her puppy. And even the boys, <laughs> you can see them all, oh. <laughs> okay, now play it that way. And all of a sudden, instead of chopping phrases, they're, they're playing with tenderness. Mm-hmm. And if you got something like, you know, a barn burner, <laughs> One of the things that I'll do a lot is, you know, connecting. I don't know that I'm not knocking this, okay? Because I know I know a lot of people do count off and walk off the stage. Or they'll stand off to the side. I honestly think that there is nothing wrong with conduct, and I don't mean conducting like this, your jazz band. But if you got dit, 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 bah, just Bah, you you know you you're there and you're 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 giving the kids your energy on these specific important hits, you know, on on stylistic changes in a piece, just giving them cues that that show them how the music is affecting you because the kids feed off our energy, mm-hmm. and I don't mean feed in a negative way, in a positive way, because there's a negative way to feed off somebody's energy by taking it from them. But if we feed each other energy, it's a beautiful symbiosis. And in all my years of adjudicating festivals, I will tell you that some of the best bands I ever had and that I ever saw were because, or that that I ever heard were because in part, not just the ability of the kids, obviously, but the director was there with them giving cues in a passionate, dynamic way that energized them. So that energy just kind of oozed off the stage into the audience. Mm -hmm. And it's not showmanship. It's just, I dig this music as much as you do, and I'm gonna be up here digging it with you. Let's dig this together. And Again, I'm not going to criticize anyone that snaps their fingers and walks off stage because maybe they do that during rehearsal. You know, that's fine. But so that's that's one of the ways. And with the rhythm section, I you know I, I love to use analogies too when I do talking about the rhythm section. And it's funny because the kids always laugh on this. I don't like bacon, but I use this analogy. I was like, all right rhythm section you guys you're the frying pan okay and then i look at the at the horns and i was like y'all y'all, y'all just strips of bacon <laughs> raw bacon and they're like oh ugh, you know and then i'm like okay each one of you is a strip of bacon and you over here you're the frying pan and i look at the drummer if it's a funk chart it you know on the hi-hat you know you gotta cook not just that's fine for one part, but make it cook. When I'm trying to get them to embellish and add more sizzle, more pop, I'm like, create hot popping grease. Okay? The bass player with the way that they articulate. Instead of da, 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 da. You see the difference? You do that, and you're going to go from cold grease just sitting there. Grease popping you know because we've all had to step away from and so when i talk with my hands a 
it's a it's a culture thing but um so you know basically if you if you can say that to the kids and then you turn around and they go now now the frying pan is ready for you you get them sizzling and then put the bacon in and psh, then you hear the sizzle mm -hmm. you know otherwise if the grease is cold and the and the pan is cold you drop the bacon in there and it just sits there raw and nothing happens right mm -hmm. i think that powerful analogies like that that are fun kids love that because at the end of the day everyone loves to be told stories true you know so creating visual things like that that are fun analogies when i'm talking about articulation I have certain analogies that I love to use, for example, uh, with jazz band, let's say, okay, dit, do, dot, da. So for da, I just tell them, like if you're looking at an EKG, the note, you hit it, it pops, but it comes back down and it continues. And that's where you got do, da, da, right? Um, or I'll tell them an accent, another way to think about it, you're standing in front of a wall, you got a soft basketball, Let's pretend you take the basketball, you bounce it against the wall. What happens? The kids always say it bounces off. Okay, well, when it bounces off, that's the accent. And then it descends. Okay. So you have to do that with the with the with the accents. As soon as I say that, they do it. And then I don't have to mess with it anymore. The Marcados. I'll go to them and say, what's the first thing when you, you see when you walk into Target? They all they all say the big red ball on the sidewalk. And exactly. Mark the the rooftops. Think of it like a big fat target ball. Mm -hmm. It has the beginning, the attack, the body. It's got to sound like dot, and then it has the end on the bottom. Dot. Think of that target ball. Dot dot. Boom. They do it, and it can't sound like dit dit, because dit dit, a raindrop bouncing off a leaf, dit, or a drip from a faucet, mm -hmm. drip drip, and a dew. Paper airplane, smooth, take it, and it just glides. So as soon as I do that, the articulation is better right away mm -hmm. for the rest of the tune. I generally don't have to like, all right, you know, all over the piece. I just tell them every time you see a do, airplane. Every time you see da, basketball bouncing off. Every time you see dot, target ball. Every time you see dit, drip, drip. Take care of that. You just cut down on 30 hours of rehearsal. Mm -hmm. Now we can talk about the expression because the fun is, you know? Hmm. Anyway, so there it is. Analogies are huge and very helpful and very emotional, emotion stirring. Well, that that's awesome. Um, I know we wanted to we wanted to wrap up a little bit with, as we're running out of time, um, with how some of this emotional impact with kids um, made it to parents and how that impacted the parents as well. Um, and then uh, you've given us a lot of like big picture concepts as well as a lot of little things to help our teaching. Um, so can we talk a little bit about how that, how that wrapped up from a parent side of things and maybe any other tips you might have us have with us that you don't want to forget before we depart? Well, I was fortunate that what few parents were able to be around um, before you know, my, the first chapter of my life, they were supportive because 
the kids had uh, a good family atmosphere in the band room and they could see how devoted their kids were. But after, when I came back from all the stuff that happened to my family and started uh, doing all these community service things, social events, um, watching the, 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 the most shy, uh, withdrawn children immediately become more talkative, more bubbly, making more friends. When we, we would do concerts, and I would also talk to the audience about the emotional reason behind the piece. I would tell them the story behind a certain piece. I would share with the parents about what would happen in the band room. And sometimes I would share with them the analogies that I would talk about. So, for example, if I was playing Seesaw Trilogy and I say, and on this, there's a certain note where you guys in the audience, you, you, you can almost envision that sail popping open. I would talk to the audience about that. Uh, the, the, the parents, I cannot tell you how many times I had parents telling me that their child is happier than they had ever noticed, mm -hmm. that their child's self-confidence was rapidly improving, that they appreciated the community's value sense. They appreciated someone teaching their child that if they saw somebody willing to go over and invite them to come over. They appreciated that and they would tell me, you know, you spend so much time with the character and I, I want them to never quit band. I had so many parents tell me that. That meant a lot because the parents want their kids to have someone else talking to them about human spirituality mm -hmm. and how it can relate to their art and reminding the kids that life is difficult, that someday they may need to fall back on whatever happiness can come back to them through something that they love like music. And on the prime example, my whole family is because we all healed from something unhealable because of music. So that is a lesson that I always talk to the parents. And when I do a clinic too, I will talk to the parents about that on stage. I remind them that they are allowing their children to cultivate a human, a humanly emotional growth and, and, and strengthening phenomenon that they will be able to fall back on later in life as life gets difficult. Mm -hmm. And parents always appreciate that. They really, really do. Um, and I think the other important thing is, is that as directors, that we all support each other in as non-competitive a fashion as possible. Because we're all fighting the same fight. I mean, not me anymore because I'm retired. <laughs> but uh, um, <laughs> I didn't mean to rub that in. But um, it, the more we can help each other grow, the happier you'll all be in your jobs. Because you've got this camaraderie. You're the only band director in the building. It can be kind of lonely. Mm -hmm. Unless, you know, there's two band directors or, you know what I mean? Um, so where, where do we meet our real tight comrades, the band director from down the street, you know? So everyone supporting each other in a loving fashion and outlaw any type of crit critiquing anyone in your band room. Make it clear that no one, no one is gonna get away with 
making fun of somebody else, spreading rumors about anybody else, putting anybody else down for any reason, out the door. If you make it so uncool to make someone else feel bad about themselves by talking about it during rehearsal, then you're really, really going to create an important atmosphere. So I hope some of the stuff that I've said is helpful. Well, that's crazy. Um, you're, you know, I wanted you're, to share it. you're kind of, you're, you're doing all the, you know, all the emotional work with the kids. Then when you get them in the right mindset, they're prepared to do anything for you. And they're, they're prepared to be their best right away. Yeah. And, and even more than prepared, they're willing mm -hmm. and appreciative because in the other sense, sometimes we really do have to put our footprint on the back of their jeans, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and I cannot tell you how willing they are when they see that you are a human being who truly feels love for them, who cares about what happens to them when they leave your band room. Um, if, if they know that you truly care so much that you are willing to talk about all kinds of human things with them, they're going to be a lot more willing and appreciative when you do have to kick them in the butt some, because it's part of the, it, it's part of life in the band room because they know it's coming from the right place. And if they feel like they let you down one day and they see you upset, they're going to work that much harder to not let you down. But then you remind them, you're not doing this for me. I want you to look at the person next to you. Go ahead. I, I, I do that. You're doing it for that person. And then instead of, it got to the point where there were times when if a kid didn't practice their music over and over and over again, I realized, you know what? Me getting on this case is not going to help. Then I would say, do me a favor. Can you turn to your section really quick? Can you promise each one of them individually that you will learn your part by tomorrow? Please. And they would, they would do it. Mm -hmm. It was embarrassing, but they would do it. And yeah. I didn't do it in a mean way. I would say, I really need you to promise. And they, I promise, I promise. I'll, guess what? The next day, the kid came back with me. Mm -hmm. Put ups or laps for punishment. All you got to do is have them turn around at the end of every rehearsal and promise three people around them in concert formation, huddle up around the podium, pick three people right now to promise that you will be on time tomorrow and you will do your best. Go ahead. And they would do it. The next day, people were on time and there were no behavioral issues. That's awesome. So, um, so. if people are looking to reach out to you and want to know more about your, your work as a clinician and as a teacher and as a writer, how can they, how can they find you? Oh, um, well, they can first of all if you're if you're interested in having me come out work with you and work with your students thank you so much for the honor and the privilege uh and if anybody just wants to check out some of my um uh, compositions they are on my website it's www.michellefernandez.com and there's a dash in between the first and last name yeah. so michelle dash fernandez and the michelle is with one l so my charts are on there. Some of them are available through the publishers, Hal Leonard, Excelsior. Uh, there's one coming out on Kendor and Print Music Source. Uh, a couple of them are with the Jazz Zone book series that's uh, authored by J. Richard Dunscombe. 
fabulous resource that will help you out a lot, especially if you don't have much experience uh, teaching in jazz, but it's a super concise book. Uh, and I'm not marketing it because um, I'm, I'm a friend of his. It's, I've used it. It's a fantastic book. Um, and you can also just uh, email me. Well, my email is on the website. So anyone who wants to get in, in touch with me, uh, you can just jump on my website. Again, it's www.michellefernandez.com. And there's a dash in between Michelle and Fernandez. And the Michelle has one L. But I'd love to hear about uh, anything, any questions that you might have. If you are trying to learn some of the, uh, the Latin styles, uh, that's right up my alley because I played in a Latin band for several years. And I go out of my way to write all my charts with all the rhythm parts very clearly written so that you can go have a cup of coffee and come back and they'll sound like they, they were born in that country. <laughs> uh, so I do that with the Brazilian forms, basa, samba, and then with the Cuban forms, salsa, um, cha-cha-cha, and then bolero, and uh, et cetera. The, uh, the forms, the Latin forms. So if you're interested, I'd definitely love to hear from any of you. And I just want to wish everyone happiness in your in your band room. And if the if the administration is giving you a hard time, just shut the door and focus on the kids. That's how I would get through some administrator being, you know, testy or rude or whatever. I'm like, you know what? My students really, you know, we've got a nice thing going on in the band. I'm just going to shut the door. And I'm going to forget about you. Focus on the love that you have with the kids and you're going to get love with your job every day. Don't worry about what you can't change. Just uh, enjoy what you've cultivated. So that's the best advice I can give. Well, thank you very much, Michelle. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the chance to talk to you. We sincerely appreciate you taking your valuable time and listening to the Growing Band Director podcast. Your students are very lucky to have a band director like you. If you have any suggestions for episode topics or think you have an area of expertise to share on a show with us, please reach out. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your band director friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to The Growing Band Director. See you next week.